Welcome to the Parent Guides of GCSE podcast. Our awesome guest today is Caroline Jacobs, who's an adolescent wellbeing coach for teen boys and young men. This was originally recorded as a live Facebook event, and this can be found on our Parent Guides to GCSE and Parent Guide to Post 16 Facebook pages. Good evening. And um, so we are here this evening with, with Caroline, who's come to talk to us about you know, why it's important to keep conversations going with your kids. She is um, an adolescent wellbeing coach for mums and teenage sons and, and kind of going into adult sons. So I think there are lots of you who are going to have lots of interesting questions for her. Um, as always, feel free to pop questions into the comments and we'll, we'll see if we can answer them as we go. And um, Caroline, hi. Hi, nice to see you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have you on our live slash podcast, depending on whether you're listening or watching. Um, I always forget that I have to do both and get confused. It's been one of those days. <laughs> Anywho, do you want to maybe do a quick kind of intro, who you are, what you do, so that people know uh, what kind of questions they can ask you? Of course, yes. Um, I'm an adolescent wellbeing coach for teen boys and young men. And I also have a community, Facebook community group called Mums of Growing Up Sons. And it's because I believe that the connection between mums and sons as they are growing up is unique um, and benefits from having a really good look at, um, you know, what happens to the relationship between mums and sons and how that can be really positive, but also how that can actually be very rocky as well. Um, my background is that um, I trained at Cambridge to be a high school history teacher and did um, many years in education in high schools, all in the West Midlands. And I love, absolutely love being in the classroom with teenagers and, it was great until I could see how you just, the support, the time wasn't there to provide help for youngsters when they were just, you know, going through the normal traumas of adolescence. Um, as a form tutor, you know, never enough time to spend with young people or their parents. Um, I was one of those teachers that, you know, parents evening, it would just be me and the senior management team left as I was, you know, talking more to parents because I'm sure you found as well, once you've met parents, you understand the student in front of you so much better. And, you know, I would often want lots and lots of time with the parents as well and ask them questions as well as them asking me questions. Um, so, yes, I... I did that. I led on teaching and learning, became assistant head teacher for teaching and learning, um, but realised completely that unless a young person feels well mentally and physically, they're not going to learn no matter what you try and make them do. And it's exploring the ways I explored the ways of how you can do that in a school environment to make sure that students knew about their mental health, looked after each other, positive mindsets, um, and the difference that it can make. But I decided to leave because um, it was getting worse, not better. And it was just so frustrating to <laughs> um, be in a system and you can see what help parents and young people needed, but we weren't able to provide it. So I thought there must be another way and came out of it and set up my own coaching company called Caroline Jacobs Life Coach for Young Adults. And over time, as you do, realise, oh, I'm actually working with a lot of young men, um, more than girls, though I'm happy to support teenage girls. But it was like, oh, I'll, I'll look into this and started researching about teenage boys' mental health. And the shocking statistic that, you know, it's it is the biggest killer um, of men under the age of 45 is unfortunately suicide. Um, also looking at what happens to young men at university as well. And realising, well, actually, we need to be as mothers. I am a mother of um, three sons. Um, we need to be 
almost like changing the culture of men and boys being silent, being silent and strong um, and, and not showing emotion because that's what's doing the damage um, so that when they really do need the help, when they leave our care, when they go off to work or to university, they don't know how to ask for help. So that's what I do. And I help mums as well understand, you know, what an incredible journey it is to have your little boy <laughs> grow up into a young man and become independent and not need you anymore, because that's a massive journey for you to take and to deal with. So, um, yeah, I found my niche and I love it. <laughs> Fabulous. You are singing our tune in yeah. so many ways. So much <laughs> nodding going on here. Can I ask a question, though? Having mm. been a tutor, lower school and post-16 for many, many, many years, uh, to my, in my experience, the most, most of the issues I saw uh, in terms of students struggling was to do with teenage girls, not teenage boys. Is that because boys, I think you just alluded to the fact, are not as good at asking for help? Or was yeah. it just a school that I'm in that just happened to be the... Um, it, it is a case of that. It's the um, the culture. It was the quiet ones I noticed. It was the invisible boys I noticed. And they're so good at literally just vanishing into the background. Um, and I think it's because my first son was very much like that and was able to go under the radar and they do that because they 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 don't want to stand out but they don't want to stand out because they don't want to draw attention to themselves from other students from their peers and so they pretend that everything's okay but they just keep silent and by noticing those individuals and offering them a place when i was a teacher and and offering them a place to come feel safe and to talk without other people like that being around, it sort of opened up my eyes to, wow, they are really suffering, but have nowhere to go to, um, to get the support that they need. And you could just see people going down and down and down. And I was like, no, 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 we've got to stop this somehow. Absolutely. I mean, we, so we have boys who are about twin boys who are about to turn 19 which is slightly terrifying. So they're both off at uni, but I uh, there's a really obvious difference with the way that they talk to us and the things that they're willing to talk to us about when the other one's not there versus when they're together. Because right. when they're together, yeah. it's very much, um, I have to be a lad. You can't possibly, you can't have um, you know any kind of emotional conversation because the other one will say something. And it's it's a culture we've tried to, to squash as parents because we know it's not helpful but we've really struggled to know exactly how to to counteract that so have you got any particular tips for parents of boys to kind of get them to open up a little bit more to get them to to start to see that they don't have to be like that yes absolutely I mean just quickly I think it, it, it's a whole generation thing it's a whole UK-wide thing if not throughout the world but you know the banter culture um you know I've I'm not some I'm not somebody that can do that I've actually found out um quite recently that um the way that my brain works I'm actually uh, neurodivergent that you know I, I can't comprehend it you know why would you say that if it isn't actually true oh you're just joking okay and um but that seems to be something that's accepted and encouraged um, in males. And my advice to parents is to be able to be honest and open in able to role model how you're feeling. Because as parents, when our children are young, we don't show them when we're upset. You know, if, if we're upset and it's like, oh, mustn't cry. In, in, in front of my child um, because the child will get upset because they don't like to see mummy and daddy, you know, being upset. If we carried that on, though, to when they're teenagers, if they never saw us get upset, we can't show them the best ways to deal with being upset. If they don't see us fall out and argue um, as adults, 
they're going to think that you shouldn't do that or that it would be the end of the world if you have a disagreement with somebody. But if we model that for them, they can then learn how to cope with it themselves. So it's it it's the role modeling that I think is one of the most important things. Um, and communicate and understanding how the adolescent brain works. Um, because once you start looking into that, it is just so surprising and terrifying. Yes, it, it, it is terrifying how much they change. Mm. But you know, and, and you feel it's you as a parent, you always think, oh, it's my fault, or why are they doing that to me? And they genuinely can't see it. It's like, you know, your facial expressions, you think, oh, I've asked them to do that. I've, I've asked them if they can tidy their room up. Um, he'll do it now. And then you go back and they're like, well, what? And you just think, are they doing this deliberately? But they genuinely, you're not a priority for them. You know, as a parent, you are not their be all and end all anymore. Um, their peer groups are, their friends are. And Wi-Fi. And wi <laughs> And that social interaction online, which, you know, I try to have, I, you know, I actually say in lockdown, it's been a brilliant thing. It's kept them connected. It has kept them in touch with people. It has helped them learn, meet new people um, and develop lots and lots of good skills. Um, but as parents, you know, we're, we're way down the pecking order. And it's because, you know, their amygdala is pumping out so many hormones and chemicals and signs that it does not relate to anything rational <laughs> or sort of self-controlling because their prefrontal cortex hasn't developed enough. You know, that's the perfect stage when they become an adult is when the brain has continued to develop so that you've got your emotions can be controlled by your prefrontal cortex. That can happen to youngsters, I thought that finished about 1920. I was quite shocked to realize can go up 24, 26, even 29. So everybody's different. And that adolescent journey is, is unique to every child you have. It's not gonna be the same with the children that you have either. Um, and we change as well as parents, don't we? We, you know, we, we stop, we have to let them fall down we have to let them make mistakes in order for them to learn to pick themselves up and become independent so let them fall <laughs> you talk about the uh, the development finishes 24 to call it 29 ish is uh, is that um with boys specifically i mean i would imagine girls finish much earlier they do yes Yes, it, and it's only <laughs> it, it's only quite recently with the development of science um, and you know and, and neuroscience that they've been able to map the the the, the changes in the brains and compared to uh, males and females. Um, I was talking to um, a client earlier on today, and their son is at the end of year eight and they're going into year nine. I just went, oh, yes, year nine. I said, well, you could have a class of boys in year nine who um, the most mature, you'd be quite happy to let go to university, you know, the, you know, the, the, the extreme at one end. On the other end, you've got somebody who'd be quite happy to go and play football with year four in primary school. You know, it is that extensive in year nine. Um, and it's one that generally you know, teachers always go, please not, year nine, a whole boy set in year nine. Um, because it's different when they walk into year 10, I always remember after the summer, um, and I'd have my GCSE students come to see me, so many boys would have just gone and shot up physically, hmm. and voices dropped, but also mentally as well. They actually sort of took on, okay, I'm doing GCSEs now. I get this a little bit more. I know, you know, um, 
so yeah the year nine years <laughs> i'm having traumatic flashbacks now from, from those like the the year eight and the year nine classes were always because year seven are, are still fresh and keen at oh, least to yes. begin with yeah. and they want to learn and they're excited about things and then by the time they get to gcse there's this real the sense of purpose kicking in mm -hmm. and as you said you do you see that step up in maturity but year eight and nine are a yeah. challenge which is where our daughter's <laughs> about to head into and, yeah. and we're frightened frankly yeah yeah it's there is it, but, you know it's, it's, yeah it's just it's just get through those years intact yeah. you know mentally intact physically intact just just get through them it gets better um and sometimes i think it's better for our children um we can help them more as we've been teachers and know the system. And then sometimes I think, oh, no, maybe it's better that they don't know. <laughs> yeah, because uh, just dreading that, knowing what's coming, it's it's making me nervous already. And she's mm. not got there yet. No. But, yes, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Can I just quickly go back to uh, Bantar, which is mm. possibly my... Oh, just, the word that really just winds me up partly as a teacher because when you're having a conversation with a student who's just been daft or whatever it was banter sir it's the standard answer for every boy ever mm. and as a parent we've got the same thing um banter is clearly can't be it's a new word but it's not a new thing did it used to be called bullying is are they basically the oh, same i like that question um i would say yes you know, if you wrote down what they say when they're doing banter on a piece of paper, that is emotional cruelty to somebody. It's making somebody think something and feel something negative. Yeah. Yeah. In order to make the person who said it look more powerful and look like they fit in. Yeah. So Caroline's just described one of the twins almost perfectly. Basically. We're not going to name names. We're not going to name names. <laughs> if you watch. But, yeah, and for me, the, the worst bit of it is that I can point you in the direction of several grown-up, theoretically men who still only talk to each other like that. Yes. And have yeah. never had an actual emotional kind of connection together because that's their only form of communication with each other mm. it may well be that they have someone that they talk to about emotions it may not be but i know that there is no way they've ever had a conversation about anything serious ever mm. without it descending into banter and Can yeah and, that's not me right mostly no okay. <laughs> it's um it's very strange i think because <clears throat> girls are more do go and confide in each other maybe not in a big gang of a group but they will be able to have one or two people that if they're feeling really down they will go look i didn't like what she said then i was really you know i don't know why and how it happens but girls are more prepared to go and talk to go and ask for support to to talk to each other um and the boys don't and the energy the mental energy boys can spend certainly quiet boys boys who don't find it natural to do that it's like they're in a pack and they're trying not to stand out so that's where this invisibility comes from um i used to just think it was oh if you if, if a boy isn't particularly sporty if they're not in with the football crowd or the rugby crowd or the cricket crowd um but it's more than that now You've got to be able to banter, to stand, to be able to just survive in a group of people. Um, and I think that's why I do actually, it's awful to say, I think banter is the cause of all this, um, you know, poor mental health that we're seeing. But it, it it is a massive pressure for people to continue to be like that um, and yet find the right place where they can be open and honest and sensitive and just say i don't feel great this is awful i mean what do we do as a society to actually get rid of that 
and encourage men to talk more? It's a, it's a tricky one. It's, I mean, part of it, I guess, as you said, is comes down to, to role models and having role models who are willing to talk about mental health and things, particularly men, because that's not something that we've seen a lot of. And it started to happen a little more. Um, certainly with with public figures that they've been talking about mental health mm. more and the impact that it's had on them but I mean I, I can imagine it's it's really tough particularly if you're a single mum with a son and so you don't have that male role model in the house and finding a, particularly this last year having someone else that you know your child can look to for a good example is is a tricky thing to find mm. Very, very tricky. I mean, there's, um, I'm really encouraged by um, when uh, Prince William and Prince Harry set up Headspace with the FA to, you know, because I mean, that was brilliant. That was just sheer brilliance saying, okay, football, let's get football saying, let's talk about our mental health and let's get footballers that guys worship saying, I'm really struggling, you know, I get depression, I get anxiety, I get stress. Um, I watched the documentary with um, Roman Kemp, the, you know, Spandau Ballet's son, uh, Martin Kemp's son, and that floored me. And I was like, wow, what an uh, example of a young, you know, hip guy he's a dj and everything like that but just being totally honest about his poor mental health and who he couldn't go to for help and you know where it led him and his family um yeah i think it's you know this what is why i'm focusing on young men and their mums helping mums realize we have got to normalize this. We have got to say, you know, if you're feeling down, catch them when they're talking negatively about themselves. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? Just say, can we just flip that over? Can we just, you know, stop the negative talk? I want you to say three positive things about yourself before another word comes out of your mouth. Um, when we, when we um, comment, parents' comments to their children as well, I think we can, there's only one positive comment to every nine negative comments. And that's building up over weeks and years and decades. No wonder that they can, you know, automatically talk themselves down, no good at anything, what's the point in trying? And, and you hear that from all young people who are in behaviour units in school, who are in extra support sessions, who have been withdrawn from the classroom because they're misbehaving, they can't concentrate. It's their self-esteem. And yeah. when you pick them up and actually have the time to talk and listen to them, yeah. It's their self-esteem and it needs to be a teamwork, you know, of parents, school, um, GP, medical health professionals, boosting that person's belief in themselves. And yeah, yeah that's what we need. Yeah, it's it's a big challenge though, because the voice, the, the little voice in the back of your head, because we all have the little voice in the back of our heads. I am... Um, I think I went to some kind of women's day and someone was talking about um, self-esteem and things and she explained it and I tried it and I think it's wonderful. So I'm going to share it. And um, she explained it as think of the little voice that's telling you, oh, you can't possibly wear that. You're, you're far too fat to pull that outfit off or you know, whatever it is. Think of it as the little devil on your shoulder. And whenever it starts talking to you, you flick it off your shoulder and stamp on it. Hit it with a cartoon frying pan whatever it needs just you're telling your subconscious i don't want to listen to that anymore mm. and you know i mean don't actually wander around swatting things imaginary things <laughs> off your shoulders because people are going to start to worry but it genuinely does work it makes a difference because mm. i was in a cycle of fairly constant negative self-talk and i have 
broken it because I've retrained my brain to go, no, do you know what? We're not listening to that. We're not at home to Captain Negative. Thank you very much. And absolutely. Mm. And it, you can start then to bring back in those those more positive thoughts, but it does take a conscious effort to do. Mm. And for that to happen, you have to realize that you're doing it and have someone say, try this. Yeah. Why don't you try, as you said, just flip that upside down and let's talk about the positives instead. Mm. And it's, um, I mean, one of ours is, is quite a pessimist by nature. And we've we've really had a challenge to try and get him to be more positive about himself, mm. about life in general, because he was very... Um, Eeyore in his approach everything was doom and gloom and but he was also the one on the on the receiving end of this banter as well absolutely so which it, yeah it, you know yeah so but much the combination the combination of those two things yeah is incredibly harmful yeah and as I say that's why I decided to be a coach I didn't want to go down the you know just go and get <laughs> another degree or more qualifications and become actually the um the psychiatrist or the psychologist i wanted to be able to coach people to get into good habits like you say the first step is recognizing oh i do think that about myself don't i well maybe i do you know it takes a while to get you know people that i work with to go oh yeah well how do i change it and then you get you, you find examples. I tend to find, you know, just tailor every client differently as to what will work. So your little person on the shoulder, your little devil that you flick off to somebody else could be they're in a grey cloud and they've got to change the colour of that cloud because that cloud is swamping them. You know, whatever, you know, just clicks with them. And then holding them to account to it, saying, right, well, next week when we chat, I want to, you know, look at this. And it's just wonderful when they come back and go, made a difference. It, you know, it did actually make a difference. Um, a, a previous client of mine, um, after I'd seen him a few sessions, and I, and I just said, do you know what? I'm really pleased. I haven't heard the L word once today. He's like, what L word? I said, there's a word that you said constantly in the first time that we met and then quite a lot in the second time around. I said, I haven't heard that once today. And he's like, well, what word is it? And he could not guess it. And I said, the word was lazy. I said, you consistently use the word lazy to describe what you've been doing or what you haven't been doing. I said, and you don't use that anymore. And he, and it, but you know, they generally just go, oh, I never realized that. Yeah. And that's all that talking and, you know, having an experienced coach can do. You know, it's not rocket science. We're not doing any psycho babble or anything like that. It's just helping people to flip their thinking and get into the habit, better habits. And it can be done at school. We can train, we can train six formers to do this for younger students. Mm. You know, yeah. I think we need to train teachers. We need, we need to help teachers themselves be aware of it because we all know of the negative ones, the, the rocks in the staff room who refuse to change and refuse to attempt change. Um, yes, the mood who. <laughs> Yeah, the mood movers. I love that expression. I've yeah, they're a real mood mover, you know. Not and in the head. Yeah, yeah. I love it when students challenge teachers that are mood hoovers. <laughs> Come on, sir, you have to cheer up. Don't use that word. That's really negative. <laughs> we anyone who's yeah. been a teacher knows exactly what what we yeah, just talked about. Yeah, and he's just pictured just, at yeah. least one person. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyone in any office, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yes, I do. I think so. Um but the power of recognizing ourselves, our own sabotaging mm. habits, um, it is really important. And yeah. you just go, so yeah, it, it's the things like, at the end of the day, writing down three things you're grateful for that you've done that day. Come on, what, what good things have you done today? What have you achieved? What What's made you feel happy? Or what kind things have you done for somebody else today? You know, it's that, 
you know, if you do have that collection of everybody where you meet once a day, even if it might just be for the seven minute evening meal or whatever, <laughs> before they all just dis disperse. But it's, you know, what made you laugh today? Um, it, it, it's the habit Ooh, I like of that. doing that. I mean, we always do the positives of the day at the dinner table. Yeah. And that was partly because of uh, Captain Negative, as we occasionally call him. But not face it's you know because otherwise that's not helpful so i've just done um, it on the podcast but which the, isn't ideal. i like the idea about <laughs> what made you laugh rather than just a, you know yeah mix it up with positives you know something just to change it around a little bit i like that yeah like, yeah what made you laugh today um and the younger we do it i mean we we've got a wide range of children our eldest is 27 our youngest has just turned eight so but it is the eight-year-old that comes out with such wonderful positive questions you know so so mummy what you know what was the nicest thing you saw today and things and you just think wow if we can have a generation of young people that's just the normal part of their conversation they're you know, reviewing their day imagine yeah. the strength of their mental health once they become 15 16 going yeah. to university brilliant that's a yes, takeaway right there. I have a friend, Heidi Mark, <clears throat> who's done some stuff on in the Facebook page with us before. And she tends to sign things off with have an unexpectedly lovely day and encourage people to look for the unexpectedly lovely around them. Uh -huh. And I think yeah. it's it's such a good idea. And it it does just help shift mm -hmm. the way that you're thinking if you're looking for Ooh. Negatives, mm. rather than looking for negatives which is let's face it what most of us do as human beings mm. so, as parents as well it's, and, it's and very parents, easy to find yeah. those negatives yeah they are everywhere particularly on my daughter's bedroom floor behave <laughs> <laughs> an ongoing issue that i think everyone's familiar with who listens to us regularly <laughs> paul and probably doesn't see it and it's a thing again isn't it as parents of thinking that our children are going to have our values and the way that we see things and they, they don't and you know what they're individuals and you get to a point of how much are you going to let it continue annoying you you know it's it's the you know on the balance of things yes yes yeah, the one to nine ratio i think is is quite a scary stat and it's yes. something i've not heard before but mm. something that i think you know again this is a takeaway for me that just to look at my own behavior uh, as a parent whether it's teenage boys or, or nearly teenage uh, daughter um just how what that ratio is and mm. i suspect it wouldn't necessarily reflect too well but it's something you've got to be aware of otherwise yeah. you don't change well there was a study recently i want to say it was de montford university about the, oh, the yeah. power of praise and yes. the difference that it makes and i think it was um making the actual concerted effort to give five pieces of praise a day to your child which sounds just ridiculously easy but i bet you if you counted it would be trickier than that because you've got to catch them first out of their room and with their face out of their phone. <laughs> yes. But it had such a massive impact on everything, on their self-esteem, on their confidence, on their actual exam grades. So mm. it really made a difference. And but also, it's exactly what we yeah, were talking it, about. It can't just be positives like I'm really proud of you. Mm. You've got to qualify yeah. why you're proud. You've got to Absolutely. explain it rather than throw away kind of it's very easy to say you've got to quantify it and, and explain yeah. exactly what they've done yeah. that has made you feel yeah. so so um, it's like when um assessment for learning was introduced um in 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 secondary schools you know about 10 years ago and it was a case of don't just put good you know there's no point just marking and putting good tell them what is good what have they done well why is this a great piece of work um and therefore, you know, you, you do all your using the national curriculum and then putting, you know, what you've done well because you've done this, this, this and this. Um, yeah, it's it's a habit that, you know, can be really positive and constructive. You know, even things like my son, well done for closing that door properly. Or, you know, you have to tell them what it is for and why you like it. Um Otherwise, it, they just ignore it because it's just what's well, faint praise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If it's not specific mm -hmm. enough, it might as well not have happened. Mm -hmm. um, right, we've got a question from Vicky. Oh, 
So Vicky says, uh, there seems to be so much pressure for boys to fit in. I have a year six who's quiet and deeply sensitive, so banter affects him badly. He's struggling with the boy posturing that started in school with the move to high school beginning, and I can see a struggle ahead. He needs a flip and do the positive. He definitely feels down about himself. Any tips for starting high school? Oh, that is a tricky one. Um, and especially with the sort of 16 months that we've just had. Yeah. <laughs> of stopping, starting, stopping, starting. Are we going to stop school? Are we going back? Are we? Um... And the lack of transition as well. Hmm. So our daughter's oh. in year seven now and she she just didn't have that usual, you know, going into school and looking around and meeting people. She didn't get to do that. She just kind of suddenly yeah. junior school was finished and, and she was chucked in at the deep end. And it's not what anyone expected because they're all, <coughs> I mean, for her, she's stuck in a, the same classroom pretty much all day because that's the way they've chosen to minimise yeah. movement. So she's not, it's, it's as you've said, been really weirdly different for kids this year. It has. And the, and the teachers don't know how to do it any differently because it is the way that they've always done it. And if you suddenly can't do what you've always done, yeah. And they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it right. No one can get it right. I think it's about certainly with quieter boys, um, quieter, gentle, wonderful boys who we need in the world, you know. And I think that's what it is. It's about making him realise you are brilliant, just as you are. You know, look at people like. Um, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and, you know, amazingly talented people that have really weird traits and, you know, they were geeks and they're focused on certain things and they're not into banter and they don't feel that they fit in. But the world needs people like that and we need different people. I know it's very difficult. I know it's how people say, oh, you, you can't request what class your son goes into or you know who they're necessarily with the best case scenario is that you're in a class form group that is balanced that you know you've got the sporty band boys but you've got a nice amount of and i'm saying proudly geeks and nerds who are into the dc and the marvel and you know um whatever are into chess club are into um I'm just thinking of all my family. We're, we're Harry Potter in our house. It's all yes, about Harry Potter. absolutely. Who knows everything about Harry Potter? Um, and yeah, it's it's hard. Whoever, I mean, if you had a classroom of boys who were all the quiet ones and were just into, um, you know, whatever um, oh Dungeons and Dragons you know if you've got a whole class of boys who are obsessed with D&D &D, and then you've got that one sporty boy in with them he would feel dreadful because yeah. he's got no one so it's it, it's about trying to find a, a, a you know a classroom a year group an environment where there is a really nice balance because when that happens and your child feels that they are with people like them um they feel less pressured to conform to the banter crowd or the, the popular yeah. crowd um yeah. and talk i would always say talk just go into school and say this is important for my son because so many people sit back and just think oh it will be fine no no, no. go in make yourself known because that's the only way, I'm sorry, that as teachers, we then go, oh, yeah, no, I've got to make sure that we make sure that they sit with those people and that type of thing. Yeah, Would you agree? Other pressure. Oh, yeah. So yeah. much other pressure, particularly at the moment for teachers, the workload is insane trying to cope with all the exams shenanigans. Yeah. The, the, the other stuff, the softer stuff, the stuff we all got into teaching for. Actually, Emotional intelligence. Yes. Oh, all of that stuff is, is getting falling by the wayside because teachers are just exhausted. Mm. So absolutely, it's um, it's definitely worth going in and saying something. Um, Pamela chimed in and said, uh, what clubs are available at his high school? Because I strongly recommend a club. And that's 
as you were saying, it's about finding your tribe. <coughs> and when you've got your tribe, your people that you that just get you and you get them, that's when you start to really thrive, I think, as certainly as a teenager. Yeah. And it helps. It helps if you've got if a school has members of staff who mm. are like that themselves or who remember what it was like to be the type of student where the sports clubs didn't, you know, didn't, you know, in, invite them to go to it. You know, it wasn't their thing. Um, I'm very fortunate. My husband um, has been a head teacher and principal of several high schools and he's always sacrificed his Friday afternoon. After school, Friday, you just want to get out of school, don't you, as, as a member of staff? No, no, no. He would stay behind and do... I want to say World of Warcraft. I don't know if that is um, Warcraft rather yeah. than World of Warcraft. War, I think Warhammer. Warhammer. That was it. Warhammer, uh, Warhammer Club. Okay. World of Warcraft is online. Warhammer. But having a Warhammer Club where members of staff would go, and you would have a range of students, mostly boys but some girls as well, who were from Year Seven right the way up to sixth form all talking, interage and everything like that. That was great because then when they saw each other around school in the rest of the week, they felt, it's okay, I've got someone older who I know. Um, and you form those bonds. You, you, like you say, you find that tribe, you find there are, you get more confident that there are people like you around and you survive and you get through it. Um, and I just hope that all schools have members of staff that are able and have the time and the energy to put those types of clubs on. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm not criticising teachers in any way possible, but you can only do all of it for so long before you burn out. And you know, we that's yeah. why we come out of it in yeah. order to try and support people who are in it and parents and students you are going through it hmm. yeah um, with the warhammer thing i um at my previous school there was a warhammer club and those as you said year seven through to year 13 and the year seven was no the year 11 is no the year 12 it was kind of this little club within a club sort of thing and it was fabulous because they all felt they belonged and what have you but because i was one of the school's uh, minibus drivers i got to go on a school trip to warhammer world in nottingham mm -hmm. i'm sure it's got a name but it's this amazing place that's just got it, you know, it's proper competition it's all for prizes yeah. and you know, you know gloating lights etc but it's attached to a pub so essentially you can go there not for teaching necessarily but as a parent you can go there at the weekend child yeah, goes into the into warhammer world for the whole day and you mm. can just go to the pub it was a, a perfect setup. that is a perfect setup yes we yeah, need more of that is there a like pub it? next to harry potter world because we could lose mm. two of the kids for at least a day there we go yeah and I'll be happy. <laughs> can, I, can I just go back to the year seven? Uh, so talking about um, contacting um, school if if you've got an issue, totally agree with that because so 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 many times as a year seven eight teacher, well whichever year group to be honest with you, you're that busy at the front teaching. You know you are aware of what's going on in in you know with students and but sometimes you know kids yeah. are very clever. They can be doing things you know um, you know under the radar as it were. Yes. And when, when a parent contacts you to say, look, there's something going on in your class, you know, I never felt offended by it. If I hadn't seen it, I can't start to sort of address it and deal with it. Mm. And every time I got an email like that, I was so massively protective of this child who was clearly having a miserable time for whatever reason. Yeah. I made sure that never happened again. You know, it was, mm. it was and you know, it, unless I was told, I, I would not yeah. have carried on doing what I was doing, teaching, and this would have carried on at the back of my room um, kids are cruel and they will do it on the sly i'd have never been any the wiser so absolutely yep. contact school immediately. i completely i completely agree um you know you've then you know raised the issue and then if your son is still unhappy um you can do something about it i actually this mm -hmm. is maybe quite radical i really hope that the lockdown and um, learning via the technology has made more parents confident that 
do you know what? If my son's mental health, if he's really struggling with anxiety, or if I don't think the school is actually doing enough to support his emotional welfare, do you know what? I'm going to take him out for a term. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to have him at home. It's more important to make him feel better and stronger about himself mentally than it is to force his attendance to be 100%. Because ultimately, schools go on about attendance so much because it is the one definite thing that can be monitored. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, then it is. That's <laughs> all it is. And yeah. as parents, they put the fear into parents of, you must go to school, you must. But if school is harming you, yeah. why are you forcing your child to go to school? Because there are amazing, so many companies have developed online learning now, um, supports for parents, for home learning. And I actually know of you know, quite a few people who've gone, my kids never enjoyed school. They've had a much better time in lockdown. Do you know what? There's just one form to sign and they're at home. They don't realize how easy it is just to sign your kids off. I'm going to home teach them at home. They can have a term out. They could have a year out. They could have, you know, a month out. Um, yeah. And, and I'm sure schools do not want that known very much. But you've got the right to just give your kids a break. If, if you don't feel their welfare and their emotional intelligence is not being supported. Yeah. Schools have got to step up to the plate. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Bums on seats equals cash, and yeah. if they want the funding, they've got to they've got to look after um, after their students. It's as simple yeah. as that. They've just got to be allowed to and, and funded to as well, because that's mm. part of the challenge. I know. There's that other thing of you know, government got to, the money. The money has to be there. Um, yeah. I don't know whether you saw, but Doctor Doctor Alex from Love Island, who is obviously a brilliantly qualified doctor is supporting mental health um because fortunately his brother died his brother committed suicide last year um and he was invited to downing street by the prime minister and there was this big announcement of seven million pounds was being given for mental health care and then they worked out that only p per school that's that's pence yes yeah. per school and in fact, they're spending 18 more times on road maintenance, filling potholes yep. in this country than they are on the mental health budget for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's those, um, you know, media grabbing things that you go, oh, well, they are doing something for our children's mental health. Hmm. No, 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 they're really not. Um, I mean, it's, it, well, it sounds like a good announcement, doesn't it? And we try not to get too political, but... The media suite 2.6 million quid for a new media suite compared to seven million quid for all of the yeah it doesn't it's, it's not the same yeah. thing it's not on the same richter scale no and, and, and is, it, it, it was as i say about you know up to 10 years ago you would it wasn't unusual for schools to have a full-time nurse mm. or a full or several full-time counselors that were there to support students and staff to, you know, with their problems. And so it would be, you know, there was there was a lovely team of people. If you if someone fell ill during the day, you know, full-time nurse there, they dealt with people that were ill, they could, you know, look after them, get them sent home. It didn't have to be a teacher's issue. Um, but through the budget cuts, hmm. staff were having, you know, it is very very difficult um we've got so a friend sorry we're gonna say we've got a friend who's a school nurse um and and as you say that's a, a fairly unusual thing these days because mm. schools don't have nurses they you know they might have a couple of hours here or there so when she told me this is she was going back into this job i was really impressed but it turns out she's not a school nurse she's a school nurse for a trust and she's the only nurse they have for 10 15 schools so how much how many hours a week do they get each one and a half, two hours maybe, and that's yeah. it. So she just spends most of the time on the on the road driving between, and not a huge yes. amount of time actually in the in the classroom or in the you know uh, however schools do it, helping helping the students who need it. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's all yeah. to do with academization. But again, I'm getting political. Sorry. <clears throat> but the, the thing is, you say political, but 
those are the facts. Yeah. And it's only people who work in it, but when you work in it, you can't talk about it. Um, and it's only once you've been out of it a certain time that you're brave enough to put your head above the parapet and go, well, this is the situation. I remember it when it was much better and now it isn't. And we're doing individually what we can to help those who are still in the system um, and our own children as well. You know, it's, you know, we, you do what you do for parents. I do what I can for what I've learned and for my boys. Um, but I'm still not sure what my little one will do, whether I actually think secondary school education is right for him, because at the moment, mental health wise, I, I don't think it is. I have a highly sensitive eight year old who's full of imagination, um, but isn't part of the banter crowd. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to look after him and make sure he's in the right environment. So we do understand. And it is all about helping all of our children and ourselves be as resilient as possible, be as aware as possible, um, and know that these mind habits are great. You know, you, you can flip your thinking, you can flip your attitude towards life. Um, the happiness thing, what you were saying before, actually, it, it's that thing that you know people go well when I'm happy or I when I have these things I will be happy and the older you get you realize no 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 no. actually you can have be happy every day there, there's no goal to be happy it's about recognizing those happy little moments during the day you know when your favorite song comes on and you have a little jig in the kitchen when <laughs> you know that's what happiness is. <laughs> oh, I'm glad Emily does that as well. Um, it's recognizing that when you when you're out for a walk and suddenly you get this lovely sense of a rose bush that you pass or something like that that evokes a memory. That's happiness, and by recognizing it every day, we get the benefit of it. It's not a far off. It's not a destination. It's the journey, isn't it? As they say. Absolutely. And I think that is probably the perfect place to, to wrap this up because I think that is a great place to end. Let's end with some happiness because Definitely. why not? <laughs> um, so a massive, massive thank you for giving up your time. Um, no, if, it's a pleasure. If anyone's interested in finding out more or getting in touch, then all of the contact details are um down in the the comments if you're listening to this on the podcast then it's in the show notes so um do feel free to get in touch there is a, a facebook group if you are the mum of a teenage boy and you could use a little bit of extra backup so go yeah, and come and join us because you know it's 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 a tough old journey and it's even worse when you realize i could actually be causing some of this conflict myself um do and there is actually um i've got a film package um i did last easter at the beginning of lockdown last year of just three short videos of about explaining about the teenage adolescent brain but also why it's so important for mums to get support as well for becoming the parent of a teenager because it's just as important as when you were pregnant and you were looking into all the information about having a baby it really is that significant we could not agree more <laughs> um, and the link to that is also in the list of links so thank you again it has been absolutely amazing Brilliant. thank, thank you, you very much